Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Well, I know that Jason's already opened us in prayer, but I really wanted to go before the Lord and um, dedicate this time to him. So, Father God, we come before you tonight. We thank you so much for what you've already done in this place. And God, we trust that the word that you've spoken to my heart will speak to the hearts of your people tonight, God. God, teach us who you are and help us to learn who we are in you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, from the title of my sermon, you can see that we're going to be talking about seats tonight. You remember musical chairs? Anybody remember that game? I hated that game. (laughs) I always landed on my butt on the floor and was eliminated. The game is designed to eliminate people. I hate games like that. I was always the last one picked. Nobody ever picked me for their team. I was kind of the, okay, I guess I got you, you know? And so um, positions like that are important to us in the world. Um, I was thinking about going to a ball game, a theater house. Have you ever gone online and purchased tickets? And you've looked for like the best seat that you could possibly afford. And sometimes you spent more than you really could afford. But it was worth it to get the best seat. I looked up before I came up here tonight. 2019 Super Bowl tickets in Atlanta. Over $9,000 for two seats in the, in the best spot. Nine grand. I mean, who does that? I, I thought, I thought, my gosh, we put a lot of value on seats. The world, it, it's crazy. I mean, that is, to me, that's insane. Okay, there may be those of you that think that I need to be delivered because how could I diss the Super Bowl so much? But I'm telling you, nine grand for a couple seats in the Super Bowl, that doesn't even include any of the other costs involved in getting there, being there. And can you imagine what hotel rooms go for in Atlanta? during that time. Okay, it's staggering. I just, I, it, it boggles the mind. But every one of us in one way or another values a seat, okay? You go to a theater, you want your seat, and you walk in, you go, dang, man, they beat us to it. That's my favorite seat. Or you come to church, and you've got your seat, and that's important to you. You want to be in your seat. Part of the problem with that is we value, we place value on seats like that And what that ends up doing is we transfer that value system into the kingdom of God. And we compare ourselves to one another and we decide who has the best seat, who deserves a better seat. She got a better seat than me. Ha ha, his seat is no good. Blah, 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 blah. And so we set the standard of God's economy based on a hierarchy. And we measure value based on things that the world tells us are valuable. Now, we buy into it. We agree. Okay, yeah, the world says that's important, and therefore it's important. But I'm telling you, when we do that, we so miss out on who we are in Christ. There's a planetarium in New York called the Hayden Planetarium. And in their guidebook, this is a quote, all seats provide equal viewing of the universe. Okay, now I'm not exactly sure how they pull that off. Maybe their point is that the universe is so awe-inspiring that no matter what part of it you're looking at, 
you got the best seat. I'm not really sure what that means, but I'm telling you, you think about that, you're going to walk into this room and you're going to pick a seat just because it's a seat. It doesn't matter where you sit, and you are going to have a breathtaking, awe-inspiring view of the heavenlies that God created. This building is designed that no matter where you sit, you've got an incredible view. But I want to tell you tonight that God values things very differently the way we do. And when we take our worldly experience and we allow that to tell us what God values, then we are missing the point. I'm going to see if this clicker works. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow. Get a hold of that. We are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Church, do you get that has nothing to do with what we've done? By grace, you're saved. It has nothing to do with what we've done, but it has everything to do with who he is and how much he values us. And when we say, yes, Lord, I receive you. Yes, Lord, I'm responding to you. Yes, Lord, I want what you have for me. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. We have a seat at the best table of all time, the very best table. And yet oftentimes, it's like we're fighting each other for a better position. Think about it. We already belong to the most incredible king, the king of all the universe, and yet we look to things that are just temporal to provide us value. How sad is that when we settle for things that aren't going to last? We have the very creator of everything living inside of us. He has seated us with him in heavenly places, and yet we spend so much energy on things of the world that mean nothing. You know, I was thinking about it, and I, I, was, I, I said, Lord, what are the things that we value? And it's not that we shouldn't enjoy life, okay? This is not about, you know, life is miserable and we should all be wretched. That's not at all what this is about. But it's not allowing this life to identify us. We look to jobs. We look to our titles. We look to our connections. You know, information is power. Um, and we're fighting for things that aren't going to last, even in ministry, I've seen people do it. They get into ministry in the church and they want to be used by God, and that's a wonderful thing. But all of a sudden, you're going, hmm, I want to do that. Or how come they don't let me do that? Or, man, I could do that better than her. Or, yeah, you know what, he really shouldn't be doing that because he's not, he's not really good at it. It's not his calling. And so, we again, we get wrapped up even within our Christian lives, not just in our worldly living, but in our lives within the church. We get into this cycle of comparing ourselves to one another. He designed each and every one of us for a specific purpose. He crafted us in the womb. And he made us 
for his purposes, why in the world would we settle for less than what he designed us for? Why would we do that? Why would we do that? It's because we don't know our value. Everything that we need flows from what he designed us to be. It flows from our relationship with him. Every emotional, mental, spiritual, physical, our health, everything that we need flows from our relationship with Jesus. And when our goal is intimacy with him and getting to know him better, that is when he can teach us who we are. When we're connecting with him in a real way, that is how he can show us who we are in him. And it doesn't matter what people call us or what category we fit into or what job we hold or what title we strive for. None of those things matter anymore because I am a child of the living God. That's what identifies me. Not the things of this world and not even my title in a ministry. It, it, that's not what matters. What matters is that Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, loved me enough to go to the cross pay for my soul, for my salvation, buy me back from the enemy, and then says, you're sitting with me. Wow, what an incredible thing. And we settle for so much less. This Sunday, Pastor John mentioned about we must be based in relationship. And you understand that our relationship with each other is a reflection of our relationship with God. Because Name me one person in the world that Jesus didn't die for. And so God puts high value on people, and that includes you. That also includes all the people you encounter. And so when we are working in, in unity, when we're working in relationship with each other, we are bringing glory to God. We are bringing pleasure to God, and we are functioning in what he's called us to. When we do not live in light of our relationship with God, our lens is out of focus, and we just don't see things clearly. So the passage that we read in Ephesians 2, the book of Ephesians, remember, quick little kind of lesson here, the letters were, they were letters written to churches and to people, okay, during the early church time. And so Ephesus was a particularly wicked city. Ephesus had the temple of Diana and Artemis, Depending on who you talk to, that's what they were called. But um, there was an awful lot of um, really wicked debauchery that went on in the name of worship. And because of that, there was a lot of money to be made in it. People came from all over. They came for prostitution. They came for types of gambling. Um, they came for idol worship. All kinds of things that they came for. And that meant that Ephesus had a booming economy, absolutely booming economy. So when people began to get saved, when Paul went there and preached the gospel and people began to get saved, all of a sudden the powers that be were getting real nervous. Because when people got saved and delivered... All of a sudden, they weren't worshiping Diana anymore. They weren't doing the idol worship. They weren't buying the idols. They weren't taking part with prostitutes. They weren't doing any of that anymore. And the economy was being hit. And so the persecution of the church at Ephesus, um, I went on a tour with my daughter's history class several years ago. And I was standing on the top of a hill at ancient Ephesus, and the tour guide had said some things. For instance, she said that in Ephesus, the persecution of the church was particularly... Um, brutal, because of the fact that it that the church really messed with their economy, and so as I'm standing on this hill, I'm looking at this Roman road that is 
so, hundreds and hundreds of years old, and yet it's still so intact. It's amazing. Um, they really were very, very good at what they did, but they were also very, very brutal. And so they built these roads on the backs of men and women. And I'm looking at this um, arena, and I can see the ruins of the arena. And I stood there, and I was so grieved at the thought of the men and women that were so brutalized for the gospel that I get to live freely. They were brutally murdered and horribly, horribly treated for the Jesus that I get to live openly. And I stood there, and I was so grieved by it. And God spoke to me and he said, you know, that road that you're standing on, yes, a lot of people died building that. And the arena that you're looking at, a lot of people died in that. And, and sometimes the world is just horrible. But I will take the worst that man can come up with and I will make it for good. I will turn it. And it boggles the mind and, uh, that God could take something so awful. But he said, those roads that they built are the roads that the gospel went forth on in such swiftness. And then the good news of Jesus was spread on those awful roads that were built wickedly, and yet God's turned it for his good. And so when Paul is writing this book to the church at Ephesus, they are facing severe persecution. There's a lot going on. And he's telling them, Brothers and sisters, we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Be of good cheer. Be encouraged that God is in control, and we are seated with him. We are children of the living God. He was sitting in a Roman prison when he wrote this. There are certain letters that Paul wrote that we call the prison epistles because he literally wrote them from prison. He was constantly being arrested for the gospel. So he's sitting in a Roman prison. I'll tell you what, I've seen a Roman prison they are pits very near to hell. I'm telling you, they're awful. There are no seats. There are no beds. There are no toilets. There are no water sources. There's no light. There's nothing. They are wretched, dank, disgusting holes in the ground. And yet the Apostle Paul writes that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Seated with Christ in the heavenlies is not dictated by our circumstances. Sometimes life is horrible. It's horrible. When sin entered the earth, death and destruction came. And unfortunately, we're still living that. Until Christ comes and makes it new, we're stuck with a world that just it lies. It's not a good world. Does it have good in it? Sure, it does. It's because God made it. And any good that's in it is because of God. But in the midst of it, sometimes we face circumstances. Have you ever been so overwhelmed by something that you couldn't get air? You thought, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass out. I can't breathe. I can't take this. Horrible circumstances in life. And I don't have an answer. All I know is that God is always good. And so if circumstances are telling me that he's not, then it's circumstances that are lying. Pastor John said that this, this weekend also. And so Paul's circumstances were anything but royal, comfortable, or relaxed when he wrote these words. And the word um, in, in the culture of the day, when you were seated, when you talked about being seated, that, was, that meant you had a place of honor or royalty or you were comfortable and relaxed. 
That was the connotation of that word. So for the Apostle Paul to be able to write those words in the place that he was in, he was not allowing life to dictate to him who he was and where he was seated. We have a permanent place at the table of the Most High. Permanent place at the table of the Most High. And when we settle for anything less, we are living way below our station. As children of God, we live with the best. We don't always see it, but remember, circumstances lie. God does not. The mercy and favor of the atoning work of Christ is finished. He said it on the cross. It is finished. And so when we live in light of that, we live empowered to live above the circumstances, kind of like an eagle soaring over a storm. We're able to do that because he is the lifter of our head. He is our source. He is our high tower. He is the one that empowers us to rise above circumstances. Part of what happens is we get very focused on self. <laughs> no matter how we're focused on ourselves, whether we're completely self-absorbed and think we're awesome and we're constantly congratulating ourselves about how good we are, or we're self-condemning and beating ourselves up constantly and sentencing ourselves because we're never good enough. Either, either extreme, we're still focused on ourselves. And we're not being as effective as we can be in the kingdom of God and in our own lives. When we measure ourselves against one another, it's always a loser's game. One of the things that we do is we thirst for recognition. Everybody wants value. Everybody wants to feel like they're valued. And, but what happens is we forget our value in Christ, and we place our value in the things of this world. And then it's empty, and then it's like we're clawing for more and more value. When we compare to each other, you will always find somebody who will make you feel really good about yourself, and you will always find someone who makes you feel really bad about yourself. It's a loser's game. It is absolutely a loser's game. So once again, instead of enjoying the seat that we've been giving in, given in Christ, we jockey for position in things that just don't matter. I, I found these. Let me tell you, social media, man, it is a setup from hell in this arena. It really is. My gosh, man. I mean, set up from hell. Okay, you get a snapshot of somebody's life, and it's lies. Do you know how easy it is to put nonsense on Facebook and look good? And then you look at that and you go, man, dang, I can't believe she got that. That ain't right. Dang, man, how come she got that? And how come, man, he's driving that really awesome muscle car. It must be nice. Well, I hope he doesn't get in a wreck in it. <laughs> okay, you see, but you see the trap of it? And I know we all relate to this. It may, it may not be a muscle car. It, it may not be a new hairdo. It may not be new nails at the salon. It may not be anything that I'm saying. But we all have those things that entice us. And then when someone else has it, maybe it's a really awesome looking burger. And we go, dang, man, my Big Mac never looked like that. Well, let me tell you, nobody's Big Mac looks like that, okay? <laughs> Facebook ads, uh, Facebook, the ads, it's all lies. Nobody's Big Mac looks that good, okay? Nobody's. And I'll tell you another thing. Nobody has as much fun in the beer commercials as they claim. Uh, 
No, oh, this clicker. Dang it, you spoil my fun. Nobody's as happy as they claim to be in the beer commercials. Look at this guy. This is Sam Shepard. What a shame, huh? I mean, really. And then I, you kind of saw my next one. Nobody looks as good as their celebrity photo. <laughs> I could not resist that one. Look at Barbie, man. She's got yellow teeth and everything. Man, I relate to her. Nobody looks as good as their celebrity photo, not even Barbie. Wow, what's up with that? So if we do not find security in the seat that God has given us, we will be forever placing value on seats depending on our latest whim. Okay, so for example, let's use the muscle car thing. You see this new car and you go, OMG, I got to have that car. So you work like a dog, you starve yourself, you do whatever, or you get up into hock to get it and you, you get the car. And then some jerk keys you in the parking lot. Or you get your first, you get your payment book, and you got to make your first payment. Okay, you know what? The world is full of illusions like that. That's one example of the insanity of the world system and what it offers us. It's all lies. It just isn't true. What God desires for us is to stop trying to find our identity in things that don't matter and to find our identity in him. Jesus prayed for us in John 17, and this is what he said. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. This is Jesus talking to Father God. Okay, we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Think of the unity of the Trinity. That is what he is praying for for us. Can you imagine if the church worked together in the unity, the way the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son worked together? If we, re- if we resembled the Trinity, even in a small way, we would be absolutely, incredibly unstoppable in the power of, the, of God. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given to me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh man, church, we settle for way too little. As children of the most high God, we live so far below what his plan is for us. Every seat is equal in God's house. Every seat. It doesn't matter what title or job or whatever it is you're doing. It doesn't matter. Paul declared in Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you know why our enemy fights our unity so much is because he knows how absolutely unstoppable we will be if we function in it. Do you understand that when we settle for less, the enemy wins? Why would we let him win? He's our enemy. He's defeated. He's already defeated. We don't even have to fight him anymore. He's done. The goose is cooked. He's done. God already defeated him. We just have to walk in it. We just have to walk in the knowledge of who we are and what Christ has done for us. When we settle for anything else, we are settling for just, we're settling for garbage. It's like living in a dump when you could be living in a mansion. Why do we do that? 
because we allow the enemy to convince us either that we're not good enough or that we didn't get what we deserved or any of those things where we're self-focused and we forget who we are in Christ, seated at the very table of God. With every seat being equal, we just need to sit down and eat. We just need to sit down and do what God has said. Instead of categorizing, categorizing ourselves and each other, we, God doesn't do that. Why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we do that to each other? Why? It's a trap from hell. We're, we're, we're settling. We're settling. So in our text in Ephesians 2.6, the word seated suggests seated together. It's a Greek word, and as you can see, to cause to sit down with, seated together, to give a seat in company with. You see, God gave us a seat with him. Why would we want any other? We think we've got it figured out. We think we know what we want, but this is who we are, and it's the best seat in the house. Why would we settle for less than what God has for us? Church, instead of living for appearance, how we look to others, we can live in adoration, focused on the beauty of Jesus and how he makes us look. Hebrews 12 tells us to focus on him and he will perfect our faith. Instead of living for affluence in those the things of the world that are empty. And every time you get, you know, have you ever said, okay, I'm going to, okay, you're working a job and you think I'm going to advance. And you get there and the thanks you get is, yep, we're going to promote you. You get your paycheck and it's like, that was a promotion? Really? Well, yeah, um, well, when you're management, this is what is expected of you. Put in all these hours. And, and it's, it's such a lie from, from the world. It, it, it has such a great sounding promise. Like, woohoo, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be the manager. It's a ball and chain. It's a lie from the pits of hell. Now, in the midst of that, does God keep good books? Yes. Is God our source? Absolutely. Does God bless his people? Yes, he does. And I'm telling you, church, those that mess with God's people need to look out. I'm telling you, they need to look out. Because have you ever had someone mess with your kid? Did it make you want to just commit really big bodily harm? Yes. Okay? Now, in a lot of ways, that's our unrighteousness at work. However, it is a natural instinct to want to protect your kids. We are God's kids. And let me tell you, my daddy's bigger than theirs. Amen? So why settle for the affluence of this world that provides nothing and not live in access to the creator of heaven and earth? We already have it. We already live with access to him. And we expend so much energy on things that are temporary. They cause us to focus on our perceived lack instead of the abundance that we really have. And finally, instead of striving for achievement and all those empty victories, woohoo, I'm the best. You know, I don't know how many of you ever watched the show MASH, but there was an episode where 
um, a pilot. He was, you know, he was a hero. He was going in and rescuing guys all the time, and he had reached some, like, unreachable number of how many. And he was sick, and he had to stop, but he did one last one so he could be the best. And as soon as he landed, and they got the, the guys in that needed to be operated on, another helicopter came, and the guy surpassed his number. And he was like, he was so deflated by that. But that's the world. The world promises so much, but it does not produce. It lies. And so that's that disappointment. That's that sick feeling that we get. Because the world lies. God will never lie. He will never do anything to hurt us. And again, if circumstances are telling you different, then circumstances are lying to you. God is always good. How do we know that? By having relationship with him. By living in relationship with the living God. By talking to him. By reading his word. By fellowshipping with his people. By knowing who he is. And as we get to know him better, then we get to know ourselves better. Because he created us. And then he reveals to us, this is your gift. This is your strength. This is what I made you for. You know, we talk about the body of Christ. You know, the nose is kind of prominent. Some of us, our nose is a little more prominent than others. But the nose is not any better than the pinky toe. They're both important parts. And when one or the other is missing, it's noticeable. Maybe not by everybody. A nose missing is noticeable by everybody. But a toe missing may not be. But you know it. The body knows it. See, God designed us to be a whole functioning unit. And when something isn't functioning, or looking at, for instance, if the ear said to the nose, man, I don't get to smell. I don't think that's a raw deal, man. Really? What would we be without the ear? And so when we compare ourselves one to another, we're not comparing fairly because we are all part of the body of Christ. We do not have to earn a seat in the house of God. We do not. We do not have to earn a seat in the kingdom of God. We belong in it. And when we sit and simply enjoy who God has made us, then we get to know who we are in him. In Ephesians, it goes on further to say, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Thank God. Because if it depended on the good things I've done, I'm in big trouble. Amen? I mean, really, think about it. We're in big trouble if it depends on our goodness. Thank God that we take on the very righteousness of Christ. That we are enrobed in his righteousness. He went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice and paid the final price for us. There is no more sacrifice. It's not necessary anymore. He did it. We just have to walk in it. You know, we are absolutely God's masterpiece. We are, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. He considers us a work of art. We are a masterpiece. Some of us are revealed sooner than others. And some of us basically function in obscurity in the world. But who cares what the world says? Who cares what the world thinks? That is not where our identity is. Comparison is absolutely the thief of joy. 
When we can take our seat at the table of God, we can relish in who he made us to be. And you know who he made us to be? His. His. His special treasure. His child. That's who he made us to be. Anything else is less than his plan for you. So let me ask you a couple questions in closing. Do you trust him to have your best interests at heart? And genuinely, if you don't, if you struggle with that, to answer that as an affirmative yes, then I encourage you to pray and ask him to reveal his love for you to you. Maybe you have had some awful things happen in your life. I don't make light of that at all. But again, it's the world, and sometimes the world is just awful. But God is always good. So get to know him better. Will you stop wrestling with who he made you to be and just be seated at the seat that he's chosen for you? Will you stop trying to be something you're not? Be who he called you to be. And if you're unsure of that, once again, go to him. Say, God, show me who I am in you. Reveal to me who you've designed me to be. Let's pray tonight and ask God to help us with this. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are and that you have designed us to be children of the living God, that you paid that price for us, Lord God, that you were willing to go to that horrible cross, bear those horrible stripes, and wear our horrible sin so that we can walk in victory and life and unity and an assurance of who we are, God. We've got the best seat in the house, the best seat in the universe, the best seat ever. Help us to live in light of that, God. Help us to trust you, knowing that you are always a good God. No matter what circumstances tell us, no matter what life tries to tell us, that you are always a good God. I pray tonight as your people go tonight, God, that you would just let this truth live in their hearts as they talk to you, God, as they risk being vulnerable again to you, Lord. There are those here tonight that have been so wounded by life. And oftentimes they've translated that into something that you've done or you've allowed. God, we live in a fallen world. We know that. And bad things happen in a fallen world but you are always good. Help us, God, not to lose sight of that. Help us to walk in that knowledge, God, holding our heads up high because you are the lifter of our head, walking in the identity of who we are in Christ because we are children of the Most High God. Our Daddy is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we do not have to settle for anything less than your best, God. I thank you so much, Lord God for your people. And I'm going to ask you all tonight to keep your head bowed for just a moment. If you do not know Jesus as your God, as your Savior, if you don't know this King of kings and Lord of lords intimately and personally, I'm going to ask you to just take a little risk here and with a show of your hand, put your hand up and tell us that you want to know him personally, that you have not met him, but you want to. I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else tonight? I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. This is the most incredible decision that you could ever make because he loves you so much. Even in the position where you don't know him, he still loved you enough to go to the cross for you. 
So those of you that raised your hands, everyone can look up at me. If you raised your hand, what I'm going to ask you to do is when we release the service, I'm going to ask you to approach. We have a prayer team up here. I'm going to ask you to approach them and tell them that you want to ask Jesus to be your God, that you want him to be your Savior so that you can be seated in heavenly places with him because he loves you so much. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, church, we're going to go tonight. And um, again, those of you that raised your hand, that was an awesome decision. And I ask you just to come up as we're released. Come up and talk with one of these. And you can come to me too if you want. Thank you, everyone. Have a great night. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.